January 16th, 2021, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 45. This is the fastest growing podcast on all the Null Top Terrace, and as always, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, now just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. I'm grateful to all of you, and as always, I'm thrilled as ever to listening to the sound of you. Man, I blew that. I'm very grateful to all of you, and as always, I'm thrilled as ever to hear you listening to the sound of my voice. We all make mistakes. I decided to cut out all of my foreign hellos because there's just too many. So I'm going to say thank you to all of you around the world from Baldwinsville to Brazil. I really do appreciate you listening. Now, here's some stuff that's happened. Crazed Trump supporters, mainly stormed the U.S. Capitol. The president has been impeached, silenced on all social media outlets, and completely ostracized socially, politically, and financially. Conservative speech outlets, most notably Parler, has been deplatformed by the Apple Store and the Google Play Store, and most importantly by Amazon whose server infrastructure has been confiscated from the Parler app. So much for, if you don't like Twitter, start your own app. Although that still is true. We'll get more to that. It looks like conservative thinkers will have to build a new social structure from the ground up, which will give them, I think, sustainable and independent outlet for their speech that is not free to be voiced on currently existing media. Other than Fox News, whose advertisers are also under great pressure right now by progressives to abandon the right wing network, all networks, really. Um, and it's under the auspices that, that they're allegedly dishonest, dishonest and um, so where they always use incendiary speech. It leads directly to violence, like low likes of which we saw on January 6th. I sure hope people don't start saying January 6th. The same way they say September 11th. And as bad as it was, I hope that, that doesn't become some kind of equivalent. In my mind, it isn't, at least. Um, I'll get to all that and my feelings about it and thoughts. Um, I've been vaccinated. Uh, I was given the Pfizer vaccine. I've had my first dose. I go back in about two and a half weeks and get my second dose. And then I will be fully vaccinated, or whatever the percent is, 98% immune from getting or spreading COVID-19. Never thought I'd be able to say that so soon. Um, the reason why I'm glad I'm, I'm going to be vaccinated, the main main relief that I'm going to have isn't really that I'm not going to get COVID. I mean, that's that was always a concern. But my concern was the freedom to be able to go places without a mask on. And, and I'm going to talk about this. I might as well talk about it now. I feel like I feel like people are changing the goalposts, moving the goalpost, as they say. Um, first, and let, just follow this, follow this line of things we were told that we must do to be socially responsible, medically cautious. First, we had to, we had to socially distance. In other words, if you were ever inside of six feet of a person, you had to wear a mask. You could not be without a mask inside six feet of people, which suggests that you could not wear a mask if you were far enough away. If you were truly socially distanced, you would not need a mask. 
then without any real scientific data because they kept fluctuating on their idea of what we should and shouldn't do it changed so many times it can't possibly be based on any scientific track so after after we were that that was what our expectation was it changed to now you had to wear a mask anyway even if you were not within six feet of people you still needed to wear a mask anytime i guess anytime other people were in sight Anytime other people were in your presence, I don't know if that means like if they're in your house or it means that they have to be in your room, the same room as you, on the same property, in the same acre. We never really got a clear um, explanation for how far away from a person you have to be in order to wear a mask, in order to have to wear a mask. Then they said and people started getting vaccinated and they said, well, you can't stop wearing a mask after your first vaccination because it's only 85% immu- creates only 85% immunity. So there was still a 15% chance that you could get and convey the virus, which would be that. But 15% is a pretty high percent. And I really don't see that much of a problem continuing to wear the mask um, in that situation. Then, now I hear people talking. It's almost like in the distance, I can see a whole bunch of people gathering around the goalpost so they can rip it out of the ground and then run 100 yards further away so they can put it back on the ground. And that is, even after your second vaccine, vaccination, you still have to wear a mask. You're 98% as, as fully immunized as a person can be currently. And we must still wear masks, which begs the question to me is, when then do we know to stop wearing the mask? Because there will always be, at least according to current models, there will always be a 2% chance, if it's 98% um, uh, effective, 2% chance that you might still be able to get it and give it. And if that doesn't change, if it doesn't go to 100%, there will always be a chance that you might be able to get and give COVID to somebody forever. So I'm wondering now, will we, what will be the marker that decides when we can take the masks off? It's clearly not going to be fully vaccinated, full, full vaccination. So I'm wondering what, and I've heard people say people have to stop dying from it. We have to wait until there is no deaths of due to COVID. I have no idea how long that will take. Imagine if we did that with the regular flu. Everybody would be wearing would be wearing masks infinitum. Now the question where it's going to get interesting is when someone pushes it and tests to see what what authority will stop you if you decide to not wear a mask once fully vaccinated. I've been told by um, checkers at Wegmans that their current store policy is to allow people without masks to move about the store and and to check them out when they get to the register. So in other words, to treat them like a normal customer. And so many people have been have been shopping and and purchasing items through the cash register aisles without masks on, who claim to have been vaccinated or not. But either way, Wegmans is letting them check out. Now, I guess that's a social ostracization. People will look at them like they're irresponsible. 
even if they know they've been vaccinated and they themselves know that they're being responsible now, it, but, but, but they're being uh, socially insensitive because uh, other people will think something and, and we want to prevent other people from being uncomfortable, which throughout all of time has never been able to be achieved. Maybe because it's a good thing. At least it's a strong thing. People will be made uncomfortable by something. And they will be put at risk by something. So, um, I wonder what will happen. I'm wondering if, if the only authority I can think of being in the gigantic bloated bureaucracy that is the state of New York. Um, I think it will be either, it probably will be the state government that decides how thoroughly to enforce a mask rule on businesses. Like, because they would have the ability to take away liquor licenses, business licenses. They'll be able to find them, shut them down with government authority. I'm just wondering how far they'll go. Because as soon as they try to shut down a business large enough to have a large and, and capable team of lawyers, uh, I don't see any way that this that the law imposed or the executive order imposed by the government won't be challenged in court. And in many cases, these, these challenges will likely end up at the Supreme Court. It's that big a thing. And the Supreme Court now leans largely conservative. Thanks to Donald Trump's nominees, whether you like that or not, that is the case. And so I, I see, I foresee a path where it gets challenged, and then the 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 Supreme Court slaps down the government's attempt to prevent businesses from uh, exercising uh, commerce. I guess we call it whatever it is. In the technical terms, uh, the Constitution doesn't allow the government to interfere with commerce in that way. And so, and there's compelling evidence that will be brought by the by the store, say it's like uh, Macy's or um, I don't know Nike or whatever it is, that um, that people are fully vaccinated. And I, I believe the Supreme Court will then say, "Well, you don't have a governing principle to the government." They'll say, "Well, what is your line then? When do they get to not wear masks to, or to serve people without masks?" And the government will not have a clean answer for that, as they have not had a clean answer for anything at any of these stages. First, you had to quarantine at 14 days. Then you had to quarantine only for 10. I never got an explanation, least of all, a medical or scientific explanation for why that shortened by four days. When I heard explanations, it had a lot to do with this this, um, phrase, uh, um, pandemic fatigue. People got tired of taking these measures, so we better shorten it. That appears to me to have a lot more to do with social issues and and um, issues of personal freedom than it does with any kind of medical determination. If anyone knows any reason why it went from 14 to 10 and can explain it to me why it's now safe during those last four days, I would love to hear it. I have not heard anything from the CDC. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. There may be some explanation for it, but I don't think there is. Given how gray this entire area is, other than the effectiveness of the vaccine and the usefulness of the treatments that are used uh, um, upon contracting COVID. 
So um, there's a lot to talk about. I had, I had to decide what not to talk about today. And I may, I may do that. I may not. I may say it all. Maybe I'll do a double cast or a bonus cast. I don't know. Maybe I'll just get it all in. Now, all that heavy crap can wait. I'm sure everyone's thinking about it and has opinions about it. Probably often. I, I bet you disagree with me. That's okay. Um, I, I, I actually am open to free speech. I am open to two sides arguing in an effort to determine the truth. Or at least common ground upon which future policy can be determined. Um, I'm not interested in power. So I, I don't have any lever of power to use on my political or ideological opponents. So I welcome them. All right, but before all that crap, as I said, I want to talk about some lighter stuff. Uh, time has gone by, and as it always does, the world gives me things that I think are funny. Um, one thing, and ridiculous in some ways. But first, since I just recently returned, I want to talk about hiking. I hike in these trails with my dog. I won't go into all that again, but it gives me miles and miles of walking through these secluded trails where the dog gets great exercise and I'm out in nature, undisturbed by everything. And I thought about why I'm always willing to do it. Like if I'm sitting around and, and I don't have anything scheduled or pressing or any desire, like, you know, if I feel like picking up the guitar and practicing some leads, I will do that. But if I don't, um, I will, if I, if I don't feel like I have like the initial effort, like the starter effort to get into something that I know I'll enjoy once I begin it. But if I just don't have the inspiration to begin it, I will go for a hike. And here's why I think, I think I got it distilled down to this simple thing. Hikes prevent my boredom. Hikes are a thing that are, that is beneficial, that are beneficial, <laughs> whatever. Um, but they're good. I get exercise. I'm outside. The dog gets some, some degree of dog pleasure and some exercise. And, um, and I, what I do is I walk until I'm tired enough or homesick enough that when I return doing nothing qualifies as a real thing to do. I'll say that again. I walk until I'm tired enough or homesick enough that when I return, doing nothing qualifies as a real thing to do. I can sit there and do nothing and not be bored because of what I have just done. And if boredom returns, I can go do another one. I know that's nuts. I know that's nuts, but I wish everyone a nearby trail. Uh, so that's that. Also, I was thinking this about Canadians. I know I have Canadian listeners, so uh, go Leafs. Um, but I was thinking the, the reputation that Canadians have as a kind people, like that is their stereotype. They're very nice. And so, you know, there are things in, in our country like burning a flag or, um, um, you know, shutting down free speech, um, you know, consorting with enemies, things that we would call un-American. People always use that term. Politicians always use it to, to classify their opponents. Un-American. It's un-American. I wonder if when people in Canada, like if a Canadian person feels any pressure that 
if they were if they were rude, like they were having a bad day and they were really rude to somebody, that others would consider them un-Canadian. Dude, that is just un-Canadian. You need to say please and thank you. Okay, buddy? That's what the, the big red leaf stands for on the flag. Just stop being un-Canadian. I wonder if politicians say that to each other. Anyway, maybe not. That's what I was thinking, though. Also, Charles Barkley said this. This is a great example of um, how sometimes people are so in the box that they can't um, see the context in which something that they say exists. Charles Barkley said that pro athletes should jump to the front of the line to receive the COVID vaccine because they, quote, pay more in taxes. Charles Barkley said athletes, pro athletes, millionaires should jump to the front of the vaccine line because they pay more in taxes. So in other words, rich people should go first because they pay more to the government. They contribute more. So they should get the benefit, the privilege, since they um, supply the government with so much more money, they should have the privilege to get the vaccine first. I, I, I when I heard it, I, I, I was like, oh my God. I was like, did, was there, I know there was probably not anybody else on the set that were on some basketball, NBA basketball set. It was like halftime in the basketball game. And I don't even know why they're talking about the COVID vaccine during that, but he said, he, I, I wonder if anyone else at the desk responded with any kind of like surprise or shock or concern that Charles wasn't recognizing what he was saying. Because if you follow the logic of the progressives, those who have less money, right, the poor, who are poor in their view, they're poor not because of any kind of choices or maybe not not necessarily because of any of the choices that they make in their regular lives to be productive or not be productive. Not because of that, but because we've, we've been told because of systemic racism, a large portion of people are poor, disadvantaged, um, disenfranchised because of the color of their skin. That, that is the main contributor to why people are poor, according to progressives. And so you often hear progressives talk about literally anything, literally anything bad that happens disproportionately affects the poor. Rain disproportionately affects the poor because they can't afford to have good roofs. So they get leaks. Um, of course, COVID disproportionately affected the poor because they um, didn't have the, uh, maybe they were living in crowded spaces because they couldn't afford it a place that gave them more space so they're more likely to transmit it and receive it. Uh, maybe they don't have the, um, let's say, education, right, the psychological capacity to take measures, to social distance, to be careful. Maybe they just aren't, maybe they're ignorant because of the, the pressure that, that's been put on them, which keeps them at the bottom, keeps them uneducated, which, of course, is systemic racism. So essentially what Charles Barkley is saying is that rich people should get the vaccine first. Now we know, if you think demographically about the rich, large, large, probably vast majority proportion are white. 
Does Charles Barkley realize that he's saying that white people should get the vaccine first? Because if all that logic about how things disproportionately affect the poor is true, it's I don't think it is, but let's take that to be true, then it's, it's a tautology that that white people would get the vaccine before people of color. Does he know that's what he's saying he wants? I doubt it. I really doubt it. And that's what's what's amazing about progressives. Like I used to say that, well, I still say, that their, their ideology is like a circular firing squad. If you trace any bullet that's shot, you can follow its path into the heart of another part of its ideology. It's just completely inconsistent, which is why I think we need free speech. Because if you don't have an outlet that points out what I just pointed out, it won't be... It won't be exhibited. It won't, people who are, are locked into progressive thinking won't even have an opposition view to consider. And that's all it is. Something for you to consider. But I thought that was um, breathtaking when I heard that. All right. Uh, I want to get to some other stuff that's kind of light now. I keep going back to the heavy stuff. I'm so sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. <laughs> all right. Lifey stuff. Actually, no, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to take a quick break. When I get back, I'm going to talk about some lifey stuff. What's up, Milky? <laughs> Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 45. Um, I forgot to say hello to Milky and uh, another thank you for hanging in there with me. <clears throat> Things seem like they're back on track, as I kind of knew they would be. Things always tend to get back on track, whatever track they're supposed to be on. All right, lifey stuff. Um, <laughs> you always do that. People say that all the time when they're arguing or when someone's doing something that's annoying them. Uh, if you hear that, that's my wife blow drying her freshly styled hair. Um, I think she she likes it to get her hair done mainly because cause like the style itself goes away the minute she takes a shower. But the, the hair coloring and the cut stay. For a while, I was thinking, why do you do that if it just goes away? But it really doesn't go away. Anyway, that was, but I digress. Okay, you always do that. People love to generalize a behavior that they don't like. Hold on one second. Colleen, could you shut that door, please? No? Can't hear me. Oh, well. We'll carry on. Um, but people love to generalize behavior because it strengthens their argument against the person who's doing something that they can't stand. Like leaving the cupboard door open. Oh, she stopped for a second. Hold on. Colleen, could you close that door for me? Ah. Uh, thank you. Um, and I do it. And I just recently got busted. Uh, it doesn't even matter what it is. Let's say leaving the cabinet doors open. That wasn't what it was, but it doesn't matter. And um, and I was like, Colleen, shut the doors. You know, you always do that. And I did not see it coming, but she said, when was the last time I did it? And I was like, oh, crap. And I was thinking to myself, what was the really, what was the real reason why I'm agitated at her if, if it isn't actually she's something she always does? Do I have some other animosity? I'm just kind of using this as a weapon. So 
going forward, I thought to myself, I better have the, the last time someone did something in mind next time I tell them they always do that. I recommend it. Maybe you won't get busted like I did. Um, okay, here's another helpful hint for happiness. Um, upon awakening, I now try. It's hard, but I try. If you're if you're a agenda-driven person like I am, task-oriented list maker. Um, upon awakening, I try my best. And for those 15 minutes where I'm still in bed but I'm awake, I try to not think past the first thing I'm going to do. I know there's a bunch of stuff after it, but the floodgates open as soon as I think past the first thing. Then I have to organize my day, make sure I have time for this, get all the scheduling done in my head. And immediately I, I, I develop this kind of sense of tension. And for me, I think, I, maybe I don't know what it is for you, but the first thing for me is brushing my teeth. And so I'll be laying there and thoughts of what I'm going to do during the day start coming up. And I think, oh, all you have to do is brush your teeth. And then I'll kind of try to breathe and lay my head back down on the pillow and rest for a second until I'm ready to get up and brush my teeth. And when I think about what I'm going to do, I try to let only brushing my teeth be the thing that I have in my head. Because <laughs> I know I'm going to just blow past it. And it's amazing how good I feel after I brush my teeth. I'll brush my teeth and then I'll be like, okay, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I know I say this all the time, but it takes daily practice. Upon awakening, don't think past the first thing you're going to do. Maybe it's making the bed. Whatever it is. Checking your watch. Checking your email. Um, try it. I recommend it. I bet, I bet it works. Okay, it also in lifey stuff, I've been thinking so much about my future. I'm an older guy, like 79% of you. I'm uh, between 45 and 58. My main, my main demographic, so hello to all of you. I count on you. You are the nucleus of my audience. Um, but I think of my future. When you get to this age, you start contemplating when you will end your career and retire, so to speak. What your you know financial... You know, situation, I guess. What's your financial, um, I don't know. What's your, how you're going to get money. <laughs> how you're going to have money, get money, be able to spend money, continue to pay your mortgage. Um, you know, your sustainability, I think that's the word I was looking for. And, um, and it, it often causes you, I think, without even thinking about it, it causes you to consider how much you like the thing you're doing, your career. I know some people that are in careers that always know. When I was teaching in an unnamed city school district, every person you talked to that it had maybe, say, at least five years in, every person knew their retirement date at which they could start collecting you know, the state pension. Tells you a lot about how, what they consider the, the quality of enjoyment they get out of their job. Especially as you get to up to like 20 years, you need 30. Um, and you need to be 55 years old in order to get a state teacher's retirement. Um, and you you can't normally collect it. You, you can automatically collect it at 55. 
um, but it will be a varying percentages depending on the number of years. If you have 30 at 55, which I will, were I to go back into the public education system, I would need four years and I would collect my full pension. And, and to be honest, I'm not to give you too much of my own personal financial situation, but um, it would be about a $10,000 difference annually between what I would receive for doing nothing. Uh, were I to finish four more years or continue to teach in the, the private school, which I love. I was one of those people who was counting down how long I would have to be because it, my, my career experience was negative. And I was thinking to myself, my situation is so unique because I have another job and, and the combined, in, which I love, and the combined incomes between the two jobs, I earn more than I would in that job that I hated. So, you know, you consider what your what your financial sustainability will be moving forward, depending on when you retire. Every single person in our 78% or 79% of my audience, every single person thinks about that or has begun it and is, is considering the sustainability, you know, evaluating the sustainability of the choice they've made. To retire and what their income is and how they're going to deal with paying for things and buying things and all that. Um, and in my situation, it's unique because I feel like I have retired from doing a job from which I looked forward to retiring. Say it again. I retired from a job from which I looked forward to retiring. I no longer do a job in which I, I look forward to retiring. So it made me think about the nature of what it means to be retired. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're old. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're done. Um, I think in a much larger sense, retired means you 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 have that anxiety lifted of how how much longer you're going to have to do something. Because I'm in a situation where I continue to do the same job, but in a different environment that creates positive energy for me. Now, of course, age is a factor. I can't teach. Maybe. Who knows, though? I mean, I don't know if I could do my job in my 90s or in my 100s. But I can certainly do it as long as I'm physically able without that emotional anxiety that goes along with doing a job you look forward to retiring from. So in a sense, I kind of feel retired. I'm not, I don't have a point in the future at which I'm looking forward to stopping doing what I'm doing. And I thought, what a wonderful situation to be in. Retiring from a job I look forward to retiring from. Sorry about the propositions, English teachers. So, I don't know. I, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Um, and then I was thinking about this. Someone said, someone said hypocrisy is the worst kind of lie. In other words, doing the opposite of what you say is the right thing to do. The thing you're telling other people to do, the thing you're expecting from other people, you do the opposite of it. Maybe you expect other people to be honest and you lie all the time. Maybe you want people to be fair in their business dealings with you, but you're unfair in your business dealings with people. As long as you can make sure no one notices it, no one brings it up, um, then a lot of times, in most cases, I bet people get away with it. You want your wife to have fidelity to your marriage, but you cheat. Or the other way around. It is the worst kind of lie. 
And I don't exactly know how I could describe why it is, but if you experience it, and that's why everyone always calls everyone else a hypocrite. It's one of the worst things to feel when you're when you're called it. Because you know you're being essentially dishonest in, in the, to your core. And that's one of the reasons why I, I shudder at the idea of having um, a single... Uh, a single ideological media. Like I was talking about Trump being removed from all social outlets. Conservative outlets are being censored or eliminated. Who will be there to point out hypocrisy? It is a natural temptation. It's not like some people are just immune from it. Everyone feels the need to do the easy thing. It's work to do the right thing. But you want others to do the right thing for you. So you expect them to do the work. Who will bring it up when people are being hypocritical, especially politicians? If only one version of the truth is represented and there's nothing to oppose it, to uh, temper it, to purify it, to make it so that through the, through the combat of ideas, the refining of ideas, a, a, a better truth, a cleaner truth comes out. When, when something you think is true isn't tested against some uh, an idea that thinks it's false, see whether it survives. It's amazing what you, what falsities you can run to and claim that they're true. So in little ways even, I thought, well, you know what? If I didn't want people to do this, what should I do? And I thought in little ways I should do it. Like I've been talking too much lately. You know, and one of my cardinal rules is listen more than you talk. And I've been being a hypocrite. I've been talking more than I've been listening. I get excited about things and I forget that the other person is not just equally important. I want to consider them more important. And so I was being a hypocrite. I thought, you know what? I got to stop doing that. Little things in my daily life. I'm going to try to practice what I preach. I'm actually going to try not to preach, but I, I think that's literally what I'm doing right now. So, again, I'm a hypocrite. I will work on it. All right, um, I'm going to take a quick break because I have to do a bunch of things. Um, but there will be a seamless transition when I return. I promise I'll just say, uh, welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 45. And it'll be like nothing happened, even though hours will have gone by. Maybe I'll share with you what's happened during that time. Maybe not. With this, I'll give it to Milky. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 45. Now, before I get on to the heavier stuff, um, I want to share something with you. And I'm going to ask Milky. Milky, you are a hairy species. Okay? The bulls and the cows. You're covered with hair. So I'm telling you if you run into this problem, um, or if this causes arguments in your barn, as it were. When you guys are showering... Do you tend to have um, problems with hair clogging up the drain? You do. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. So you just don't complain about it. You just... Yeah. Okay. That, that's what I think is the best solution. What Milky's saying is that every once in a while, you just have to take that big, long, snaky plumber tool, which we have, and you got to take the little grate, unscrew the little grate off it, and you got to wind that thing all the way down as far as it'll go, all the way down to the septic entry or the whatever, the sewer entry pipe. 
and then put a little bit of Drano down it and it burns all the hair and, and then it's clean for like three months. And then everyone can shower without having to worry about hair building up along your feet in the shower, which is awful. It is admittedly awful. It can ruin the shower experience just like a bad towel can, if you know what I'm talking about. And so it's occurring here. We're coming through our we're coming up to our second episode where we have to clean it out. Now, to be honest with you, I almost never shower at home. I as I've told you before, I always shower at the place where I work out. Occasionally I will shower here, but it's it's kind of like a dirty shower. And I mean dirty, you know. It's got like stains and it's not awful, but like if someone came over to shower, I feel like I would feel like I would have to apologize for how it's not the cleanest shower in the world. But it's those tiles and it's old, you know, it's probably like a 12-year-old grout and tub and stuff, but it works fine. There's no leaks or anything like that, but sometimes it backs up because of hair. And um, we've just been joking about it because everyone's trying to blame everyone else in the house. And now I'm guilt-free here. Not only do I not have any hair on top of my head, I mean, I don't know if my back hair is coming off and that's what's causing the clog to drain up, but I doubt it. I don't even shower enough here for that to be the case. So there's... Two females who shave their legs in the shower. Those are the small bitty hairs. And then there's just the normal loss of hair that occurs on a healthy head of hair. Some of the hair comes out and is replaced by other hair. In some cases, the hair is, falls out and it's not replaced by other hairs. <laughs> I'm not saying who's who, um, whether it's my daughter or my wife, but it's neither here nor there. And so... I, it, my, my son has just had me laughing really hard because he complains about it the most. Because he probably contributes to it the least. And um, he's been complaining that the amount of shower that gradually, I mean, the amount of water that gradually accumulates at and around his feet over the course of even the 10 or 15 minute shower is starting to become annoying. And I, I used to have a shower like this. There was a time in the 90s when my buddies and I all played beach volleyball. It wasn't on a beach, though. It was like in a bunch of dirt in the back of a bar, like in the backyard of a bar. And it was really fun. But we get sand grated on our bodies all over the place, like ground into our feet, between our toes. And we I had a stand-up shower at the time at my house on Tipperary Hill. Um, only my local listeners will know what that is. But um, it was a stand-up shower, and it was a good shower. It had one of those glass closing doors, and it had like a little bit of a, maybe like a six-inch basin at the bottom. He just stepped over, and you didn't have to worry about water leaking out or anything. It was a great shower. But we all used it after we played volleyball because we would all get use my house to get ready to go out at night. Zoom chicks and, and dance to Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. And so it would get full. And by the time the last person got into the shower, they were starting with about three inches <laughs> on their ankles. <laughs> Uh, and they had to make sure they were done before it reached the top of the bottom basin. So otherwise it would just spill out into the bathroom. So I know what it's like. Um, and so we, he's just been exaggerating how bad it is. And I was thinking, you know, until I snake it or until he takes the initiative to do it, it really ought to be one of the girls that should do it. But until it gets snaked, it's a, a running joke in the family that, that <laughs> first my daughter takes a shower and um, she has to do it with like a, those those green duck boots um, so that she can take as long a shower as she wants and not have to have that feeling of water building up around your feet, like this dirty water that you just washed your body, came off your body. Now it's all around your feet. It's not going anywhere. So she wears duck boots 
that makes sure she's okay. And then when she gets out, um, obviously after a 40 minute, 30 minute, 40 minute shower, there's more has accumulated. And so, um, so Brandon goes next and he has to, um, he has to bring an inner tube and he just sits with his butt in the middle of the inner tube and lets the shower water hit him as he floats on, I don't know what, five inches, six inches of water. He twirls around in circles and plays with his rubber ducky and, and then he can have a shower without that disgusting feeling of having all the water around his feet. Then by the time he's done, it is a virtual pool of water. And so my wife goes for a swim. Sometimes she brings her snorkel and her, her fins is that not that much room, but my wife is pretty small. She can probably do at least a kind of a half lap, twist her body, go to the other side. The way fish do it in a small tank. And so she goes for a swim. And anyone that's ever swam knows that swimming is probably just as good as a shower. I mean, there's no um, chlorine in the water that she'd be swimming in. But she could wear her, or she could just wear a scuba suit. And then, well, that would defeat the purpose of the shower. Oh, I don't know. We'll work. We have to work something out. But now you know why I never shower there. And I don't know if I'm ever interrupted during a podcast by a flood. And that'll be the reason why. So anyway, I just had to share that because I wanted to complain to somebody. Um, thank you. Now, I will have to get on to larger things. I've been putting it off. Okay. First, um, as I said in the opening... I believe free speech is a bit, at least, under assault. And I know um, how disgusting some things are that people can say. Would I say them? I would not. Would I prefer that other people don't say them? Probably. But would I ever try an effort to stop them from saying it? My answer is always going to be no. I've always said... Even to the kids, when they'd be talking about people picking on people, or you know, I, or or when they get in arguments and they want the other person to shut up, I, I'm, it's always been my position that that when when ugly things are said, the best course of action is not stopping them, but saying something better in response. That way, everyone gets at least to have the feeling of not being frustrated not being able to get their ideas out. They may believe they make sense until they come into combat with other ideas, and then they may die. Or they may not sway enough of a group of people as they thought it would. And then maybe that will cause them to rethink their ideas. Maybe not, but either way, um, a general audience, the general public, whatever it is, like for politicians, would get to make a decision about whether they thought this idea was better or that idea was better. And it just, it, 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 and also it, it Here's the problem. Who decides what speech can't be said? Essentially, it's like asking the question, who decides what's truth? That's I lies. We got to get all those Trump lies out of Twitter. Well, I've seen plenty of lies on Twitter that are all across the spectrum. And then the question is, you decide, well, no, I think that's true. Well, no, I think that's false. That's obviously false. And everyone says, well, just the facts. Well, the facts are rarely just the facts. There are two apples on the table is a fact. So it would, it would likely not get disagreement or argument. 
the kind of facts we're talking about are like what happened. You know, what happened during the summer riots? Were they mostly peaceful protests as they were as they were covered by almost every media outlet? Once they're called that, that's what they are, that becomes a fact. Well, there may be 50% of the country that disagrees with that characterization of the event. So in one person's mind, it's a fact. In another person's mind, it's a characterization of an event. And since from the beginning of time, they've been trying to put a pin in what is truth and still struggling with it, I think the idea is the best thing to do is let everyone air their version of it and let other people choose which they agree with. And I think in theory, most people say they believe that. But the, the tipping point is when speech directly causes violence. If I have a bunch of followers and I tell them to start burning buildings down and they burn the buildings down. It's very hard to prove. It's very hard to assign direct blame. Like, for example, the, the Capitol protesters storming the Capitol. They've been blamed on Trump. Their actions are di the direct result of Trump's speech, as we're told. Now, people will disagree to what extent his speech caused it, contributed to it, affected it, instigated it. Should Trump be blamed for what those people did? Trump didn't do it. But he used speech that incited them in such a way that they did it. Had Trump not roused them up like that, had, would it be a lot less likely that it would have happened? Yes. Is that the same as saying that he caused it? That's an important distinction. Because reciprocity is another good test. Is the same judgment made when positions are politically opposite? For example, Bernie Sanders, at some point, I forget, few years ago was complaining that since we don't have socialized health care, the government is killing your grandparents. He actually said the word, the government is killing your grandparents and killing the poor because we have private health care and, and then we have Medicaid or whatever. But it, his policy disagreements with the current administration, I think it was Trump, um, led him to say these I guess you would say equally incendiary things. And then a man shot a bunch of, well, at least attempted to shoot, did shoot at least one congressman while they're practicing for a softball game. It was uh, Representative Scalise, David Scalise. I can't think of his first name right now. But um, what, what, is it fair to say that Bernie Sanders is responsible for that man shooting a congressman? The, the, it was found out upon later investigation that he was a Bernie Sanders zealot. And so in a sense, he was taking action as a result of a shared belief that he has with Bernie Sanders. Could Bernie Sanders have used less inflammatory rhetoric? Yes. Is it Bernie Sanders' fault that that man decided to get a gun and do violence? No. No. And I don't really recall that many people blaming it on Bernie Sanders. Least of all, making a direct correlation in terms of culpability, like criminal culpability. And so th there's a balance that has to be drawn between, between not provocating violence and not eliminating free speech. Because again, the question comes back to who gets to decide which speech is allowed.
right? One man's treasure is another man's garbage. And I feel like since we don't know, best always to err on the side of more freedom. So it sounds crazy to say, but I believe in free speech even if it causes violence. Because it would cause more violence were it suppressed. I'll get to a little bit more of that because I know that might be taken as incendiary, but I'm going to explain it a little bit further. And this is regardless of what side you're on. I'm not Right now, I'm not talking about those people blaming Trump. Or I'm not talking about that nut that Bernie Sanders stirred up. I'm talking about speech, free speech in general and to what extent we need to be careful whether or not we go to stymie it. What the, what the results of that would be, which I believe are even worse. So, as I said in the opening, um, Parler has been deplatformed. Fox News is under assault right now. Um, and, and how about this? The Ayatollah of Iran has a Twitter account that doesn't get blocked. But the President of the United States is blocked. And, I, and this is one thing I want to say here because I'm probably going to end up saying it a lot. I once said something about um, it is the era of the audience. This is the time because of all this, all the social media, every, everything everyone's doing is always in an, for an audience. It's also the era of the narrative. The narrative is a continuing depiction of events that, that cast one group in a good light and another group in a bad light. Or a chain of events that tries to get characterized in a way that suggests cause and effect in a way that benefits or makes look good one side and makes another side look bad. It, either it, 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 it makes someone look culpable or it makes someone look innocent and they just pound the narrative. And if any information is, is against the narrative or disproves it is exculpatory, they ignore it. Again, reciprocity. Is the same story treated the same both ways? Um, and that's it's critical. Whatever side you're on, you should want that more, right? You should want to play the game a little bit more than you want to win it. Right? You can't kill the referee because then when you win the game, it's not really a win, unless you just want plain, unadulterated power. In which case, whoever has the guns has the power. You wonder why people don't want their guns taken away. So, so long as we're going to stay in the arena of dialogue and ideas and don't want to go into the realm of violence, then number one, elections need to be transparent and legitimate. For that, I believe we need a voter ID. That way, no one questions whether or not the referee was paid off or his wife was kidnapped and, he, and being held for ransom until he makes one team win, figuratively speaking. So it needs to be a fair game so everyone trusts the outcome of the election. And then everyone's viewpoints have to be allowed to be aired. Right now, I feel like the conservative viewpoints, not even conservative viewpoints, because they don't really even get into detail about policy and ideology. It's just the people, Trump supporters. Those people have been characterized wholly as evil. I mean, my wife doesn't pay that close attention to the news, and without even any prodding, that's what she felt like she was watching on TV. 
And she watches the Today Show and Good Morning America. So don't be surprised by it, but it is everywhere. And now the small gasp of the other side trying to shout its opinion is being is trying to be snuffed out. It's not good, guys. Even you guys on the other side, you should not want that. Your ideas are strong enough and good enough, and you have enough places where your version of the truth can be told. Right? You don't win over the public by preventing the other side from being heard, even if it's lies. Unless you don't believe in the public, I guess. You believe the public is too stupid, and they must be given only information that allows them to come to certain conclusions that will allow the people you favor to be in power politically, and then those people will take care of those people. You know what that is? Stalinism. Eventually, they'll come for you. I heard a great um, debate uh, with uh, Jordan Peterson. He was talking about, he was comparing capitalism to Marxism. He made some really good arguments, but I'll get into that in another episode. He's amazing, Jordan Peterson. You may hate him, probably because you haven't listened to him, but I recommend it. At least listen to the other side before you base your opinion on what someone else said or what you've been told to believe by CNN. Listen to the words. If your argument can stand up against his, then then you then you should have all the confidence in the world to continue believing it. But if you start to have doubts when you hear his, you may change your mind. And you would never, ever have the opportunity to do that were his, his speech banned. Which I think they're trying to do that as well. They tried to run him out of the University of Toronto because he wouldn't say that there's more than two biological genders. <laughs> He wouldn't say it. They were making him say it, too. He said, you guys can believe what you want. This is what I believe. Like, they were going to fire him because he wouldn't openly say, make a statement that said, yes, I believe there are more genders. What do they call coerced speech? Or uh, I forget what he called it. Um, uh, compelled speech. So that's, not, that's even worse. That's not like you can't say something. That's you must say this. That is Stalinist. So... Um, I'm going to continue on this topic. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm just going to kind of see where I'm going next with this uh, because I have some very specific things I want to talk about relating to free speech, and I will do them when I get back after this moment. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 45. I just want to um, finish this thought. I won't bend your ear too much longer. Thank you for hanging in there with me. But I want to finish this thought about what's going on right now with free speech as it relates to the specific um, events of the January 6th and those that have followed after it. Now, I hear, um, for, well, first of all, report first. I don't know if you even know this, depending on the news that you listen to. Maybe you don't hear the other side. But if you did, you would know that reporting shows that most of the planet in organizing for the violent actions that were done on January 6th were done on Twitter and Facebook, not Parler. The vast majority of the, the organized, um, you know, kind of organization, I guess, the organization of these, these protests that led to violence, the plans to try and storm the, the Capitol building, those guys that were going in with zip ties and they had supposedly had plans of the building and the and the, the blueprints and they knew where they were going to go and what they were going to try and do. All that planning was done on Twitter and some of it was done on Facebook. 
So for Twitter to say that Parler needs to go, or for Amazon or any of them to say, Facebook to say that Parler needs to go because of the the, the dangerous speech that's on, on the Parler app. Now, I know there's some bad stuff on Parler, too. And they're, they're in the process of trying to clean up their whatever, their, their moderation method to make sure that those things are erased as soon as they go up, just as Twitter has their own moderation method. Except for somehow, somehow it was allowed to get past Twitter. And I'm not blaming it on Twitter. I'm blaming it on the idea that you can stop it, that you can stop speech. And so it has to, what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. And it isn't. And that's where the the narrative ends up affecting what people think and not able to consider the ideas just in and of themselves. So nobody is to admonish anybody else about their the dangerous speech that occurs on their platform. It happens everywhere. The only difference is Parler tends to represent conservative voices. Without those conservative voices, even if some of them are lies and some of them are incendiary, you will not hear the other side. I don't know. I mean, but, you know, the, the Wokies now, I call them Wokies, the people that are so super woke that they're so sure they're right. It doesn't matter if the other side's speech is stifled. It's just wrong anyway. It, they no longer need to have it um, battled out in the arena of ideas. That's a waste of time. Right? They don't want to. They don't want to win the argument. They want to eliminate the argument. And, or, or so it appears to me. But these wokies. And then I even heard. I even heard someone. I think it was a congresswoman say that it was a. Oh yeah, it was. It was the woman named Bush. She was a Black Lives Matter organizer, and then she ended up winning a, a congressional seat. I'm not sure what state. Was it maybe California or New York? But she she blamed the siege of the Capitol on racism. People that were all outside were trying to go in so they could turn the election over so that the the black vote wouldn't count. Now I don't I honestly I can I don't know if that's true or not, but there doesn't seem to be any any evidence to suggest that was the reason they were doing it. But again, race. And, and I hate to wade into these waters, but it, someone has to. It feels like anytime it, it a drop of the race issue gets into the the glass of any other argument, it goes away. The whole glass just has to get dumped out. They're like they're like Wookies, except Wokies. They're like racism. It's awful. And now I hear Democrats, including Schumer and Pelosi, all the time. They criticize Trump for his disregard of the Constitution. They always seem to hold that as their precious thing. They're protecting the Constitution. I, mean, not, I don't hear anyone coming out and saying that we have to get rid of the Constitution. They know that would immediately lose them support. So they have to still project this idea that what they're doing protects the Constitution and what Trump is doing undermines it. So I have, I have two questions. One is, how can they impeach the president over speech that by, by all um, constitutional lawyers and judges suggest would be protected by the First Amendment. I'll say that again. How can you impeach the president because of his blatant disregard for the Constitution for speech 
that is constitutionally protected by the First Amendment. That gives you an idea of just how precious they hold the First Amendment. I'm sure they would like to amend that amendment to to include the uh, phrases like only what we think is the truth. Or they would just say only the truth should be protected. But again, then who decides what the truth is? And if you can cut you can cut down enough of your opposition in the media, eventually everyone will agree. Except they won't. They won't. Those people believed in the principles they believed in before any figurehead came along. The reason why Rush Limbaugh immediately soared to fame and popularity wasn't because everyone liked the guy Rush Limbaugh or the the tone of his voice. It, It was the fact that he was saying things they had long felt. So in, in order to get rid of this, this awful speech on the right that everyone keeps complaining about, in order to get rid of that, you would have to get rid of the fact that people believe it. Because you can stop it from being spoken. You can stop it from being heard. But it will still be thought. And eventually those people will either come out in mass in elections, which is why they never predicted Trump would win in the first place. Those people were just silenced that whole time. And then they came out and made their voice heard with their votes. But if you squelch that speech, it doesn't go, the the ideas don't go away. They're still in the heads of all those people who believe in those principles. Basic conservative principles, lower taxes, um, don't socialize medicine, have a border, keep America's national security as a high priority. You know, use fossil fuels until an alternative method of energy is, is suitable. Don't bankrupt the economy in the process. Those, those basic, love God, believe in God. Those are basic conservative principles. And they're debatable, but they have to be allowed in the debate. So, my guess, that question right there, I'd love someone to answer that for me. How do you impeach a president for speech that's constitutionally protected? Second, they always attack Trump for for not not, um, respecting the branches of government, the co-equality of the branches of government, three co-equal branches. And and in this case, the executive branch, him, he he was trashing the legislative branch, Congress, for not for not uh, challenging electors, for not doing something to overthrow the election, which the, the federal government, the federal government in terms of Congress, don't, they don't have the ability to do that anyway. Election law is run by states. Now, there is an argument that state legislatures were overrun by, by last minute changes made to voting laws due to COVID. I hope you don't have your eyes closed about that. They definitely changed some stuff in there in these states. And in especially in all of the three swing states that made a huge difference, or four, whatever it was. They changed election law without changing the law through executive decision. And then the state Supreme Courts, which are largely liberal, allowed it. The state legislatures, which are largely conservative, were over, you know, not overthrown, but over um, overrided. So overridden, sorry. So 
uh, the second one then is how how are they going to respond after after accusing the president of not respecting the three co-equal branches of government? How are they going to respond when when with the House, Senate, and White House they begin trying to pass laws that effectuate their own agenda, and they're taken to court, and those court challenges go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules against them. How is Nancy Pelosi going to feel when the Supreme Court finds laws she's trying to enact unconstitutional? Is it by default going to be illegitimate because Trump appointed those justices? Legally? Because that's the way the Constitution says it goes. The president nominates the, the justices, and then once they're confirmed, that's it. They're the highest law there is. What's she going to say? I, I guarantee she's going to claim that those court decisions are illegitimate because they're based on Trump appointees. I guarantee it's coming. So for someone to, to cherish so deeply the co-equal branches of government and then trash the judiciary, which will happen, so will Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer forgot what he said one second ago. Literally, he forgot what he said one second ago. Or he knows it, but he just changed it. And that's okay. You won't see it on your news. At least once we get rid of Fox and Parler. I'm wondering about myself. God, I'm like, geez, if I say too much conservative stuff, I mean, uh, Amazon is my server. My anchor is on Amazon. Geez, maybe I better be careful. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to be careful. I'm not going to say anything that I think is, is a call for violence, but I'm going to speak freely. And maybe, it, maybe they'll remove me because they have the right to. And then maybe I'll participate in this other platform that pops up, which it will. They're going to be so surprised when it happens. You can't have Parler on our servers? Okay. In a year. I mean, I, I would wonder if that even is Trump next, Trump's next move. I listen to this podcast sometime in the future, and Trump has established an entire new media network from the ground up, all his own infrastructure and servers. Boy. The left is going to flip out. They're going to lose half of their half of their um, listenership, viewership, uh, followers, all that. They're going to go to a place where stuff isn't um, censored. So they have a vested interest in not allowing another more open-minded. I mean, even if if even if there's tons and tons of conservatives on it, they're going to allow the liberals. We're already used to allowing liberals. We're already used to being a minority of the voice. That speaks to the public. I mean, even my wife, who I love, watches the Today Show, considers that must be a fact. That was reporting. And then she she does watch a little bit of Fox, and she lives a life as a fairly intelligent person. She compares it to the things she's learning when she teaches in an unnamed city school district and goes, wait, that doesn't jive. I heard that Jacob Blake had a knife. Why do they keep on saying it was an unarmed man? Oh, she must have snuck away and, and in some corner of the communist regime and watched some unacceptable outlet and gained some information, caused her to change her opinion. We don't deal with the truth. We have to make sure that we stop all of that falsehood. It's nuts. It's really nuts. I can't believe I'm witnessing it myself. So I guess basically what I'm saying is this. This is how I will conclude. When when there are two sides have dishon when two sides have honest differences of opinion, 
vehement disagreements, like take uh, abortion. Who bears the burden for creating unity? Even just say politically, two parties can't stand each other and what they generally stand for, the people within them, whatever it is. They have these vehement disagreements ideologically. Who bears the burden to create unity? Is one side just supposed to give up their ideology? I don't think either side would be willing to do that. If you said, okay, we're going to flip a coin, and whichever side it comes out, that group will have to now agree with the other group. Never happened in a million years. So presuming that both sides are going to hold on to their deeply held beliefs, how do you cause unity? This is the, this is how. This is how it has been in American history up until looks like now. Two people, two sides, two parties disagree that ideologically. Unity is found in a in agreement on a more indispensable, a more fundamental idea. One that undergirds both of their opinions. The, a, a, a concept that they share because without it, neither side would be able to have a free opinion. Neither side would even be able to be making their argument that they think should win and smite the other side if they don't have a more indispensable, more fundamental, foundational idea underneath it that they have to preserve Otherwise, their position is going to die anyway. And that is free speech. In this country, it has always been the freedom of speech. I may never agree with you. You may never agree with me. We both, we both might find each other completely objectionable and outrageous. But it is still more important for both of us. The fact that we are able to make our argument is allowed because of free speech. Without it, who will decide what is and isn't allowed? The sad answer is this. The ones with the guns. Political dialogue is what has saved us from ruining ourselves in violence. And if you think that this or that heinous speech led to violence, just wait until it is suppressed. With that, I am out of time. As always, thank you very much to all of you for listening to me. I will be back shortly.